Hey, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 282. Uh, if you watch Mandroid over the weekend, the Comedy Central special, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, I got to live tweet it from the Comedy Central Twitter account and then from mine as well. And um, I was so flattered and blown away by the positive response. For a second I was like, wait, this is the internet, right? Everyone was so nice and uh, and I really, really appreciate it. It just it just meant the world to me. So thank you so much if you watched uh, if you watch a special. I'm sure they'll air it a bunch more times and I think you can pre-order it on Amazon. And if you do, um, there's a very special bonus material. There's extra stand-up that was not in the special. And then also uh, I brought Mike Furman out to do a couple of songs uh, just for the DVD. So that's the Mandroid DVD on Amazon. Pre-order now I think comes out in January maybe. It's Speaking of Hard and Firm, uh, we have a new, brand new song, new video coming out uh, Tuesday, November 13th. So this, if you're listening to this after the 13th, go watch it now. YouTube.com slash Nerdist is a very special... Uh, is a very special video for a very special lady. So uh, please go check that out. And uh, I would like to thank this sponsor for the Nerdist Podcast, Stamps.com. You might be saying to yourself, hey, I would like to have a postage meter to have all of my stamps. And you would be wrong for thinking that well i guess i guess not wrong but there's a better way so i guess that only makes you part partially wrong not 100 percent wrong but stamps.com you can print postage from from your computer and then you print it out and you get the exact postage you want so with a postage meter you might have hidden fees there's meter ink charges reset fees or a long-term contract or extra hardware to buy or lease not with this my friend unless you consider your computer extra hardware but you probably already have a computer, which is, I'm assuming, how you're listening to this podcast. Now you could be listening to it on your phone. I don't know. I'll come assess your hardware later. But uh, with Stamps.com, you can save up to 80% as compared to a postage meter. So don't waste money. Do it the inexpensive and easy way, Stamps.com. Uh, if you go to Stamps.com right now, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Nerdist for $110 bonus officer offer of a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com and enter the promo code Nerdist. And now let's shift our focus to this episode. So a few weeks ago, my business partner, Peter Levin, is sitting on a plane, and uh, the man who sits next to him is Eric Idle. And they talk the whole flight, and they hit it off, and it turns out Eric Idle, the nicest guy in the world. So Eric, um, they made this show uh, earlier this year in Los Angeles at the Orpheum Theater. It was a live performance of a show called What About Dick? And the cast is insane. It's like it's Eric and Russell Brand and Billy Connolly and Tim Curry and Eddie Izzard and Jane Leaves and Tracy Ullman and Sophie Winkleman. And so they shot the live shows and they're putting it up as a download on Tuesday, November 13th, which they are calling Dick Day. And for like six bucks, if you go to whataboutdick.com, you can see one of these performances from this amazing cast. And it's sort of a hybridized, uh, it's kind of a musical, but it's a little bit of a play. And uh, Eric described it as a Downton Abbey, only funnier. So if you go to whataboutdick.com again, it's it's well worth the $6 to download this show. So we, um, Eric got uh, uh, Eddie Izzard and Billy Connolly and Sophie Winkleman all in one room and, and, and we just talked and it was uh, it, I wasn't freaking out at the time because everyone was so cool that I just forgot for a second who they were and what they meant to me and I was just talking to them like comedians uh, you know just getting advice and what it wasn't all stand up talk but there was there wasn't a, certainly an element of that and I do want to make it clear that I wasn't I'm not putting myself on the same level as these comics so when we're talking about comedy it's not like I'm going yeah we're all in the same boat <laughs> I'm not, I am a I am a I am an amoeba I am a baby comic 
uh, compared to these guys. I just had my first special, as we talked about earlier. And again, thank you for watching if you did. But um, I absolutely was so honored to talk to these guys, and they had some incredible insights. And, you know, I mean, they're legends. These, these guys just mean so much to me individually, uh, at, you know, just through my comedy development. And, uh, and Sophie, which who I wasn't super familiar with before, I'd certainly heard of her, totally held her own, was so funny, and, uh, and was wonderfully charming. I think Jonah, though, was super nervous because he was actually sitting next to me the whole time. I do not think Jonah said one word during the entire podcast, which was adorable. So listen to the show. If you hear Jonah the, the, the tweet at me because I, I don't think he actually said anything. But uh, here we go. The Nerdist Podcast episode number 282. Uh, Eddie Izzard, Billy Connolly, Eric Idle, Sophie Winkleman uh, from WhatAboutDick.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. We are gathered here together. This is a very solemn occasion. Yes. Are we rolling? <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. Are, are you a winkle? Are you in New York, my Winkle. Winkle. Uh, I'm supposed to be in New York, but I've got no power or water. <laughs> yes. Hurricane oh, Sandy came and blew him away, hasn't he? But Sandy blew him off, didn't he? Yes. Did you get an Amnesty International package from Martin... No. ...thing? Martin Lewis. Go on. It's fucking hysterical. Oh, good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very good musically. Excellent. A lot of people singing Bob Dylan songs, including uh, Pete Seeger singing Pretty Forever Bob Young, and he's yes. 91 when he's doing it. Yes. God, he sent me that. I sent it back. <laughs> <laughs> I thought 91 certainly enough for Pete Seeger. But there's all these people saying is how Martin wrong? Lewis is a very... Say? I said 91 is too much for Pete Seeger. <laughs> every, every single one of the interviews says, Martin, my dear friend Martin Lewis... Uh, and I thought they've all been tutored by that prick. <laughs> we're on now. We're on. Welcome. We're on podcast, and it's Abuse Martin Lewis Day. <laughs> I was oh, on to cast my pod. It's this wonderful man who works for Amnesty. No, fuck that guy. Am I doing it right? <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, <laughs> fuck that guy. Uh, good to see you. Welcome. I'm not, I'm not officially here at the moment. <laughs> Where are one cast his pod was into the room. <laughs> I'm just wondering. It's it's a great view. He was, that's a really nice view, Anne. Uh, it's, it's radio, Eddie. <laughs> now, if you were, um, for people listening on the podcast, we are now looking at, we can see the Hollywood sign, can we see the Hollywood sign? We can see the Hollywood sign, you can see we the can beach. We can see a cross, we can see that sort of Rio de Janeiro. And then the like, other cross. side of Waldsmark. So it's, it's a marine layer. And out there, that, that yeah. looks like, uh, what it must have looked like years ago, you know, like uh, before yeah. uh, humans got here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's just palm trees and oil. <laughs> and and, uh, and bridges people <laughs> who were talking about uh, we could do, yeah. which is the wrong religion according to a lot of people who uh, sued the Catholic Church yeah, they recent years. And then Sam Goldwyn came and he was called Sam Goldfish. Goldfish he was. 
In fact, I think you should have kept it, don't you? And he's like, great yeah. name, Goldfish. And the comedian should have gone to him and said, you've got to change your name to Steve Goldfish. That's a very old joke. That's the one to do. Eddie, I don't know if you remember, but I did Green Room with you in, in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. With uh, the Paul Provenza show. No, I recognise you, but I just thought the background's changed, and then I go, I, I you know, because you meet people intensively. Yes. This is, I think. I did um, Green Room with you in Montreal. That, that was the first one. You did the first one? How many people did you do Green Room with in Montreal? No, it was you. That was the first time I actually sat down with the with the legendary myth. Are you, are you beyond myth into legend? Python and yourself are beyond myth. We, me and uh, Thank you, Edward. me and Helen. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. We can't be a myth and legend, can we? But these two are myth and legends. Uh, uh, who's in trouble? Uh, but, but myth is bigger than legend. Legend has. I, you've got to get a co- iconic. You're iconic. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, you are. So you are. Yes. Yeah. You've got to get to iconic. That's junior, junior legends. <laughs> you're a legend. Yeah, no. Yeah, iconic is an old legend. You, know, you have to die to get to myth, don't you? Because they can't the be myth. You have to be dead for a lot of years to be yeah. myth. Like yeah, yes. have, there has to be a lot of separation. But you, you can, can be, be a living legend. You can be a legend. Yeah, you can, you can be, be a live legend. You can be in your own lunch. Legend in your own lunch. But is yeah. myth even possible anymore? Because everything's so meticulously recorded. Is mythology even possible Oh, the, these days, no, it's tricky. You know you're a legend when you get those weird prizes, the Lifetime Achievement Award, and all those ones. Those yes. ones you don't want. They're kind of saying, take this and bug it off. So <laughs> stop irritating everybody. Well, they didn't give it to Pete Seeger. Can you retire? What's wrong with you? <laughs> what you said about Pete Seeger said, I don't want to hear it at 91 I want to hear it when it's 95 now come on okay. that shirt is for regular listeners <laughs> too loud it is louder than Hollywood I think it, I think it <laughs> comes with an outside aerial it comes with a, <laughs> as a transvestite man I do feel your shirt is too loud <laughs> it's actually working against your face <laughs> it's a, only radio it's just because the camera just I walked know, in here volume control me you know, they're abusing my shirt. Correct the colour balance. Because I took it off because it was just radio. Right. And it wouldn't be noticed except by no, action the, transvestite. The <laughs> I would wear oh. muted colours, blood, lipstick fighting, and as you can see, uh, as I was explaining, this is uh, my nails are saying uh, British European transvestite. So that's political <laughs> views and sexuality. In, All in, in one, two hands. And it took me 27 years to work out how to do that. <laughs> it is, because I can actually do this yeah. and have a beard and it doesn't seem to bother people that much. Obviously it'll bother uh, people like Mary Whitehouse, who's a dead English woman who <laughs> would have been very bothered still bothered. <laughs> <laughs> if you dug her up, would be bothered about it. Still and I think, I don't think that she would If you go to a group and listen, you can hear her spinning. <laughs> she was, do you have the equivalent? It's like, uh, she was like a, a Republican. Yeah, yeah, she was like, that's like, like okay. And she was an art teacher. Was she? What? She, she was, was an she? art teacher. How could you teach art when you were so... Exactly, so uptight. Did you see, on, on, on the Python thing, there's a guy on that, I can't remember who it is, he says, she calls it Grandma Blowjob. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma Blowjob. And it's just such a... We didn't even think of that name, but... She would, whenever she got, she got pissed off with Life of Brian, didn't she? And Absolutely. then it went through the roof. You wanted, you, tr- you wanted to get this woman pissed off. She was one of those people that if they were pissed off, all the cool people would come and you sort it. Oh, that's bad. And what was her position in the in British culture? Uh, was, just a, a busybody. Yeah, busybody. Yes. Yeah. Public busybody? Complainer to the papers, a complainer about the BBC, always on the Morals. phone. Yeah. She was Moral actually Guardian. head of something called okay. the Festival of Voluntary Light. Voluntary Moral Guardian. That's so nice of her to, yes. make, get, to make everyone... I was very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> How's one big so money doing She actually looked like my mother. It's a spitting image. And once we were, it was Michael Palin's birthday, and we were on stage in Birmingham at the Hippodrome, and I got my mum to come on. 
and I grabbed Michael and said, now, Michael Payne's biggest fan, here she comes, Mary Whitehouse. And my mum came on with a cake and gave it to Michael. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the Birmingham Mail that Mary, Mary Whitehouse came on and gave him a cake for his Cause, birthday. Because yeah, if you've got a certain look of a, a slightly small senior lady, they could, they could be interchanged. They were they? completely... But, but, but somebody has to write into the paper and then, and then denounce the cake at the same Some time. Some people have aunts of a certain age who smell peculiar. <laughs> oh, well, and, and, and so they wear lots of perfume to cover up this peculiar odour and it makes a third smell. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she was like. It's like air freshener and wine and roses. And we didn't even know what she smelled like but we, as we could assume from watching her on telly that she smelled like the third smell. <laughs> That, uh, that's a horror movie. You've just written a horror film. Well, it's, it's, pretty, no good it's not yeah. a horror movie. It's more like a worry movie. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're worried. You're watching. You're, you're not actually horrified. You're, you're just worried. Pamela <laughs> used to have an Australian expression for it, which I can't remember, but it was like vomit in the flower patch. <laughs> Somebody's vomited in the petunias. Yes. It's a new creation of third smell. Yes. I think it's for people who put aftershave on their smelly socks to create. There are people who do that. (laughs) 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 Jesus, I thought I'd take it to a final, but that is that's advanced. That's a badge on your scout uniform, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) The respray stuff. There is the the rotating. Many years ago, I was a welder. I'd like to think you were shaving your socks, and that's just what you do. I didn't, but I used to shave my trousers when I was in the army. Why? Because they drove me insane, the jaggedy material. Okay. So I found the shirt as well. I shaved the inside of my shirt and the inside of my trousers. Was this one of those tricks that they teach you in the army? Yes. How long were you in the army? I was. I was only a territorial. Oh. And I went on a Friday night. <laughs> Get so back in the sun. We saw you saw action. You were in yes, Cyprus. Yes, I did. The people shot at me. Parachuted yeah. into Cyprus. Yes, in Libya too. You were parachuted really? in? Yes, I was in the parachute regiment. Wow. Because I was trying to be a parent. Well, yeah, well, yeah I, did a, I did it. I'll show you a picture of me at 16. I, I tried to um, do a. It shows how serious I was in my head. Cause if you, cause that, but I, I wanted to be in the parish particularly, and I was doing this special course in my holidays from the Combined Cadet Force. And. Uh, yeah, look. Pretty serious. Fucking A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were the nails done out of frame? No, I wasn't out. I wasn't out until I was twenty-three. So, but I knew I was a transvestite. But that's part of my stand-up in Dress to Kill. I talk about, you know, if you actually had a lot of guys and blokes being parachuted into different areas, everyone would go, "What the? F- oh shit! They've cornered us." Oh, we were looking at the guys with makeup, and we didn't expect. I'm not sure you can do that. So, can we not? I I was the silver drummer in the band. Wow. Oh, Eddie. So, um, who knew? Which is uh, a less good photo, but there will always be a silver drummer to me. Now that was an interesting story. That that's a real sort of me story because they they it was done in houses at a boarding school, and so the guy was in charge of the whole thing. The guy who throws that big twirly thing up in the air in the in the combined combined cadet force drum thing. He was in this house called Schoolhouse. I was in a different house, and so he wanted to give to his friend the silver drummer title, and you get these drumsticks 
with solid silver end bits. And I've been trying to get these my entire way, working my way out. And there's no way this guy was better than me. And I just went up to him and said, you're not fucking giving this gig to this guy. He's, no, he's just not even gonna test him against me. There's just no way he's better than me. And then he said, well, and I made a, a brilliant compromise because he had to stand on the top left position. And I said, okay, you stand top left, I'll stand top right. I'll have the drumsticks and you have ordinary sticks. That's, you were already working on billing in the middle. No, no, I was working on compromise that worked my way. That was because who gives a shit or anyone? No one knew that that guy's the important guy. It didn't really matter where you stood, as long as you had a corner. And uh, I did the paradiddle. Oh, well, you know what paradiddle is, yeah. I was doing the diddle. When they all brought the sticks up, I was doing the bit in the middle. Oh, nice. So I was, yeah, military. That's why action transvestites, they know about World War II. And this is why this ties into. What about Dick, I think, because what about Dick is, flawless the, is the summation <laughs> it's a shame of really military, because... fucked up history, shirts that don't work, <laughs> my, next door, my next door neighbour was a drummer, Ian Meikle. We lived in a tenement when I was a child, and he used to play on the sideboard. That's how I know it, paradiddles and all that. He was a drummer in a pipe band. Yeah. And in our house, my sister would be playing piano on our sideboard because we didn't have a piano. <laughs> so she went to piano lessons on a Sunday and practiced all week on the sideboard. Oh, <laughs> <in silence. laughs> you can draw keys onto the board. Yeah, she drew it. Yeah. You can do that. You can yes. as long as you know where the position yeah. is. So and to this day, she can she she can play, but only with music. If you take the music away, it's going to Even Happy Birthday, she had the music. Da da dee da 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 dee da. Pull the page away. The piano starts farting. That's what happens. That's like a Tom Waits song, isn't it? The piano man is farting. You should talk about. I knew you were territorial, but you should talk about being parachuted into action. For fuck's sake. I did many, many years ago. You bring it back and talk again. Was it in the reason? Because I've heard nearly everything you've done, I, I think, and I just hadn't. I knew that you were territorial, and I, I just didn't know parachuted into action. Just when I discovered you could hear a bullet passing you, right? I didn't know you could hear it going. Oh. You know, if a guy is shooting across the valley at you, as it passes you, how 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 close would that be? Just just there? Oh no, about twelve feet or something. Oh well, if it's twelve foot away, yeah. Should, wow. Ever, and if you don't anyone? hear it, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> did, you ever, did, did you ever kill anyone? No, I shot some people, but it was it was dark. It was black, pitch it was, night. So maybe. So just boom, boom, boom. The whole point is shooting the people to keep their head down, not to kill them. And, oh, okay. And this really ties into what about Dick? Right? <laughs> <laughs> because you want to hear it. You want to hear it. Yeah, I think the death, death is people Dick die. Dick is dead. <laughs> people do die. They're bluted to death. Yes, there's a lot of death. <laughs> and this kind of badinage is what we put into it. And we wanted this kind of murder death. Uh, attack, parachuted in, shirts. <laughs> I think we need to hear Sophie's uh, Sophie Wiggleman in the army. You know, no, please don't. Not me. No, no, Sophie's Sophie's got a good I'm going to admire. She has a good singing voice, but sometimes the timing. <gasps> you, were I, the timing. No, you were wrong about right. the timing. You were wrong about the timing. He made me all, he no, made me all nervous. He's often right. wrong, but he's very pushy. No, I was right about the timing. You were jumping ahead on a thing. Okay, I remember the verse. I remember the verse. Italian men are gorgeous. They make me slightly nauseous when I read of them. 
Romeo. Ah, that's what? That breath. What? That breath is correct. Romeo's that breath is correct. See? But that's how I did it. No, but you wouldn't take the breath. You'd go straight in. You'd go... <laughs> And, and you would you would flip in a beat. You would, you would go ahead. Sophie, beat. he's trying to take your silver sticks right now. I'm a silver drummer. And, and Eric, you did so now I'm instructed. It was syncopation, Sophie. It was syncopation. I thought she sang it like. But I, I watched it. Yeah. I, I watched the show back, and, and they, they edited you. No, they they have cut not. away from your face, and then they come back to you. I do it. Wasn't that how? He's jealous of your tits. I'm jealous of your tits. That is that is called breast envy. At some point, we have to get to the point. I think, Sophie, you're jealous of your face. <laughs> That's how amazing. Oh. What am I supposed to say? I'm about? not sure. How are the girls supposed to respond? Yeah, so I'm very jealous of your nails. Coy. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. Billy's nails. Come on. That's Billy's. bad. No, I think. Oh, you're ready. No, yeah. actually, I want to talk about Billy's nails. <laughs> well, I'm jealous of his nails because I play the banjo and I play a style where you called frailing or claw hammer that you play with your striking down with your nails and, and mine break and smash to bits. But he has tree climbing quality nails. <laughs> no, no, no. I have attack monster type. I have. I can. Uh, you know, I worked out before Stone Age. We must have been. Just going in there, just sure. like animals do. Animals, you know, tigers don't come up with a rock and go, got this guy. <laughs> you know, tigers, possible thumb obviously doesn't matter. They could do it with two paws and they'd have to run on the hind legs. But even <laughs> dropping would have to be a properly shaped stone for them to be able to clasp it in their paws. There's no, a lot no, you, that you, would could, have you to... could push quite a lot of things together. I know we could do experiments on this, but. <laughs> but then they'd be running on their face well, because way, they'd need these hands. Well, either way, it'd be a door. No, they'd use their legs. They really would be. Just to tiptoe up there. Boof. But no, that, I think that's good for attack, but tree climbing is more good for grip. It's the grip. You don't need the, the end bit. Well, it's the tree climbing quality. You need the, that thickness. And we did two million years ago. We were we would have been doing this in a tree. <laughs> in a tree. And we would three, have been three million. And then we would have been. I just happened to have done a song with Professor Brian Cox, and we have the date down to three million. Well, left the trees three million years ago. I just did a documentary on genetics, <laughs> and I was with <laughs> Professor. Uh, Jim Wilson, who said it was two million. So, well, Brian Fox, Professor Jim Wilson. One point five. One point five million. Professor Brian Fox. Now, there's some doubt. Cox told me about it. They found a new baby, which little old. We went. We went back into the trees. We were able to stand up and walk, and they. I felt that we didn't actually leave the trees for quite some time afterwards. We that. would go back. But it's about a piano, the basically. There's a piano involved. Yes. And there well, used to be in the original title. What was it? The, 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 the remains, remains of the, of the piano. piano, which attracted me to the show, was then cruelly whipped away <laughs> and became a sort of dirty title. But what about Dick? And where's Dick? And how's your Dick? And there are one or two suggestive songs. Suggestive songs, and then a bit of racism to make the Scotsman misunderstood. <laughs> I said to I said to Eric, I think Eric backed me up on this. There were not quite enough dick jokes. In it. <laughs> Two more, we would have had quorum. There is a mathematical number where yes. it all it is out. perfect, and that's when you can work out when the big. Bang there's is. a dick quotient. Yeah, there is yes. definitely a dick quotient. Yeah, there's one or two. Dick jokes in there, but you, you, you had to once you had that title. You, Some of them have been pulled back. Oh, yeah, have they? Hmm, improved and a little. <laughs> 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 right. We've it was been very circum. Back. We've circumvented a few of the dick jokes. Circumcised. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk. I, you, you, uh, you play banjo with like Steve Martin and Kevin Nealon and, and yes. all this. You're like in a banjo club. 
Yeah, well, yes, I play a fucking guitar with it. It's so boring. You go, ding dong, 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 you know. And you play C and G if you're a guitarist. Over and over again. Yeah. The Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, McEwen, he's there as well. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. They're all geniuses. He's the McEwen, is he the one that produced all of Steve's albums in the yeah. 70s? Yeah. Wayne McEwen. Well, no, no, this is, he's not Wayne McEwen. What's his name? What's McEwen's first name? Ian. He was the banjo player on the Nitty Gritty Dirt gotcha, Band. Gotcha, gotcha. It, uh, it was his brother that was Steve Martin's uh, manager. That guy, okay. That's that, right. That he was at school with him in Orange County. Yeah. 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 Are you performing in New York? Well, you're obviously not performing in New York now, but you were. In December. You were performing there in December. Yes. Are you doing any stand-up any anytime soon? Yeah, I'm developing uh, my new show, which is called Joe um, <laughs> had a French time, so that when I go to France, they go, "Oh yeah, we see what it's called." French well. spectacle en français. Yeah, I would, uh, I would. I would. I don't like the French. Why did you say that they chose in German? I would. You guys chose in German, right? So with German, they ran away from the Germans, the French, you know. Do you find? Do you find that the ultimately, if you have a comics brain, can you pretty much take it in any language? Or how much cultural subtlety do you have to understand? It, it, all you need to do is just have your references. Uh, Python is a perfect example of this. So Life of Brian, you translate that into French or subtitle it in any language or dub it, and it will work everywhere, uh, even places that, were, that wouldn't know about Christianity. You could work it out. You could work out the, the, the stuff that had to go on. Some of the jokes might, might get lost in that, but all the words make sense. It's human stuff. What have the Romans ever done for us? Are they give us this, that, and the other? you just got to have a certain sensibility about knowing that the Romans made a lot of shit happen and sure. we're an oppressed people, but actually some of this stuff's kind of good. Just, just like they say in Nazi Germany, I, a German friend of mine, Michael Mittermeier, has just been playing. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, Michael Mittermeier's been yeah. playing now in English in Britain and uh, he says, there's, you know, the, the, the autobahn going at whatever speed on the autobahn, can we just keep that one? You know, after World War II when they were trying to denazify everything except the autobahn and a very fast third leg, we like that. And it was, I thought Germans drove so fast in autobahns because they were all desperate to piss. <laughs> from drinking that all that beer you know? oh it is big things of beer trying to get to these stations where you can just <laughs> <laughs> I think there's an illegality of yeah, but if you read closely no, you I find most of them cross-legged I think it's fine I, Eric you're a sweet guy and it's amazing to me that you are not like of anyone in this room you must have the most people running up and qu quoting shit at your face. Like, they see you in public and they shout out Python quotes. Yeah. Are you okay with it, or do you just, like, Well, ah. well what do you do? I don't know. You go, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Hi, hi. Yeah, you know, you can't do anything, can you? It is, it is uh, there's nothing one can say. It's a cake no. of death to me, and I go, Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no. So, quite. And if they shout out in the show, you just go, I don't know. You know, it's, they don't shout at me because I look angry all the time. They're <laughs> <laughs> sort of scared of me. But you, because you, well, you really. They like, used you, to shout for things. They used you, to shout for the command in the early days. Yeah. They did. They'd yeah. shout for bits of your routine. I remember being there. Yeah, Ivan the Terrible. Yeah, and then the, 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 there was the crucifixion. The crucifixion. One. Yeah, yeah. It was very popular. I remember hearing early. I got early Billy records out, and I couldn't. Your Glaswegian accent was so strong, or my ear wasn't tuned in enough. Yes. Because yours, your accent has come down a bit, but all yeah. my ear, I, ears tuned in because it was yeah. so strong. It was windy. No, it was windy. It's going through. I had the same experience. I was in, like, I think maybe 96. I, I was driving from London to Edinburgh. And I'm like, oh, I got a Billy Connolly tape. And I listened to it. And I was trying to work. I knew it was funny, but I couldn't. I, my England, my American brain couldn't sort out all of the words from one of the earlier yeah, albums. Yeah. 
Do you know sometimes it's rhythm? It's not just the, the accent yeah. itself. Sometimes it's a rhythm, and we don't move our mouths that much in Scotland. We we don't move our lips that all that much when we're speaking. You know, it's, people find this quite difficult to understand. Yeah. How do you still? Because a lot of how long have you been doing comedy now? I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> twelve years. <laughs> I don't know what time did I come in. <laughs> but most people, why do you think most comics, like after maybe twenty-five years or thirty years, they just stop? Do you think they lose the hunger to be on stage, or do they get scared, or what? Because you're still doing it, and I, I find that amazing that you're still able to be relevant. I don't know. Some sometimes. Uh, they get fed up, and sometimes so I've often looked at Chuck Berry, who did all that, you know, Johnny Be Good and all that, and Oh Carol, and then stopped and said did my ding a ling, and then didn't do any more. You know, what what made him stop that great stuff? Or I, Robert Klein I seems to have chosen to stop. But he came back. He had a comeback. Maybe I don't have any right to say that. Maybe he's doing great things somewhere <laughs> else, but. It seemed to me he he sort of chose to stop. I think yeah. a hunger has got to play a part in it. So you're hungry, you're, you're starving, you're you've chosen this profession that you uh, either you know is, is tricky or your parents, middle class parents, are telling you this is very tricky. Sure. So you, you are struggling your way through. Uh, you're desperate to get something to work. And the furiousness of working all day, if they say, okay, we're going to work 25 hours a day today to get this thing sorted out, that's what you will do. And if you start making it and it starts going well and there's people and there's, there's fans say, hey, it will turn up at the next one, you, you find you can get away with stuff that isn't so good and then yeah. you can get into this place where you're, you're reading the phone book out. Or, and but it's not really that it isn't so good. You, you get away with stuff that you wouldn't have the last time because they now like what you do yeah. and are prepared to sit for longer yeah. and wait for something coming through. And then you can't bear to be with people who don't know you because you, you don't have the luxury of floating and inventing. And right. But then also, do you, well, do you ever like to just show up where people aren't expecting and kind of... I've never done it in my life. No? Oh, no, I don't do it. That's Robin Williams. <laughs> well, there's, there's an interesting thing there because I, I can't do that in the clubs and the clubs they do want this speedboat kind of stuff where you're going hey this that and the other whereas the floating thing that Billy's talking yeah. about is beautiful because you can go and you can just float around a bit say something that's not inconsequential and then you go oh what about this and suddenly you've got an idea out that, that the bridge the, from it you yes. branch off and you remember yeah. something or? the difference between self-indulgence and great and inspiration indulgence and inspiration they're right on the edge and you've got to be indulgent in order to think of the stupid idea. Oh my God, that is a great idea. Sure. And but or no, maybe it just continues to be a stupid idea. Um, um, and that is the that is the weird thing. Sometimes miracles happen. I was at a place in Scotland called Straven. I had been in a band with Jerry Rafferty and Tom Harvey. Jerry Yeah, and we we split and we all went solo and the, and we were called the Humble Bums. And I was in this room in Straven, being a solo act and trying to be funny and stuff. And there was a big bay window with a curtain on it. It was a lounge bar above a, above a public bar. And the people were all sitting there. And somebody said, what happened to the humble bums? And I said, fuck the humble bums. I'm super bum. And I ran over <laughs> to the curtain and I opened it and lightning flashed. <laughs> <laughs> And sometimes I remember in Sheffield going shh, 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 to the crowd, shh, 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 and they all went, and I went, and a glass broke, and I had no idea what, what I was doing. I just pointed in the air and shh, 
a glass smashed on the floor. And then you have to do that every night. You, you have can, to figure yeah. out. Well, you can't do the same thing, but, you, but if you push yourself, weird things occur. Yeah. Well, it's the same verbally. If you just take your time, don't panic. Try and relax, which is extremely difficult when 3,000 people are staring at you. And they've paid quite a lot of money. <laughs> but they're also, if people come, if 3,000 people pay to see you specifically, they're already on your side. Well, that's, that's the thing he's talking about, with yeah. before. And so you kind that's, of begin to lose yeah. an edge of creativity and think, this is quite good. No, I think you get a different kind of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. But with all of you, and let's, I'll, let's start with Eric, how, you know, when people have a certain expectation of you, like, you know, people, I think people define in their mind what you're supposed to be. And sometimes they don't give you a lot of leeway with that. So when you try new things or you move on to other things, you know, like when you move past, past Python and stuff, how, how, do you, uh, how do you continue to engage them, or how do you get beyond that? Well, I mean, that's 30 years ago, Python. You know, we haven't done anything for 30 years, so I've been doing it for quite some time. Absolutely. People go, oh, no, 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 you live together, you live next door to each other, you're on the phone. <laughs> no, 30 fucking years ago, you know. So um, it doesn't bother me anymore, because it's so part of a different part of life that I've spent so many years being here doing other things. You know, mainly writing is what I do. I like to write things. They're different from these two because they they both stand up, they go into a room and they face the audience and they talk. But also with solo. I mean, because you you were Humble Bums and then it's you and I was with a four-person group at college, dragged one of them down to to London and was a two-person double act. Then I went solo because he was on holiday. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's true, Rob, my partner, knew. he said... He went on holiday. I said, I can't work if you're on holiday. What can I do? I'm just sitting here. I can't do anything. So I thought, I'll do a street show on my own. And I did one street show, made 10 quid. And I went, oh, 10 quid. <laughs> Didn't have to split it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I remember. And I thought I could do six in a day. And I could make 16. I remember, dude, uh, Eric Idle, I'm pointing at, he asked me about stand-up you were going to go out on tour with a right. band and you said yes. I think I'm going to try a bit yeah, of stuff I said I do it just go and talk you're, you're entertaining you're funny there's no reason why it shouldn't work and I remember when you phoned and said it worked it worked and I was dancing a wild jig on my I, I talked to him too in fact I met him in Boston he kept giving me tips well had I known you were going to talk to him I wouldn't have told well, you well yeah. no I know <laughs> with my tips I yeah. just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said you should try to fuck up <laughs> You know, it's quite, it's, it was interesting, the first experience I've ever had of just going out and not knowing what you're going to say. Yeah. You give yourself a little bit of time, and of course you think of something to say, and then they laugh, and you think of something else to say. It's the laughs that give you the time, isn't it? Yes. To, to go on and it, pick it up. And the more you do, I mean, the confidence, I think, I, I've, well, my stand-up style is stolen from Billy Connolly, and all my, all my surreal uh, characters interacting is stolen from Python, so I'm, I'm a mixture of these two. And your fashion is stolen from Sophie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be from Sophie. Thanks a lot, Eric. Sexism, tactic, I couldn't agree more, trying to get you to speak. Yeah. You know. You, she's a I'm funny person. I'm admiring you all. And what do you she, do after a show? What do you both do after a live show? You know. I do accounting. <laughs> <laughs> I did. There was, there was one period. I whinge and moan. Do you? Yeah. I did. I used to get really excited about going off and doing accounting. This is, this is not... I just did it once. It was the Edinburgh Festival and the accounts were needed to be done for, a, for the venue that was happening. And I'd worked out how to do a spreadsheet. So I was in love with the spreadsheet. Because <laughs> I come from a mathematical background. And there's mathematics involved in comedy. Would you not agree? Yes, it's you all algebra. You don't go into accounting. Yeah, it's algebra. It is, it is. Yeah. Oh, bollocks. No, it it's is. such it's bollocks. And, and Mozart would agree with us. 
Because there's music involved. What did he know about it? That's when he was born, you fool. Mathematics is involved in the music thing, the, the rep- repetition of the notes thing. And in comedy, there's a magic three, which can be a magic four, magic five, or magic six even, if you do it. There's not a huge amount of rules, but magic three is one of them. You establish, you, you, you uh, uh, recommit, and then you twist it on the third. I he was no totally intense an idiot. You know, those ones. But you do them naturally. You don't go off and do accounting after every show. Tell no. me honestly what you do after a really good show and you come off stage and you've been in front of 3,000 people. Genuinely I what you do. I should heroin into, into the left eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it's really big, then I just... <laughs> Stop <laughs> it. Tell us the, the truth. I don't know. There's nothing planned. But it's not quite like I go and throw fine televisions to throw... I throw them into hotel rooms. That's, yeah. <laughs> do you do right. Well, what do you, what do, you do, Sophie? After a big show? Yeah. After a big live show? Mm. I haven't done one for ages. <gasps> apart from yours. Exactly. I mean, apart from yours. You did this. Why did I did you? this. We did but I mean, I thought you were talking about stand-up. Didn't we go and party? Or yeah, we, we had drinks every night after the show. Yeah, no, well, that's good. I mean, yeah. a, a touring, if you can get a little party going after each touring thing. I mean, the, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I was never the person who went out the nightclub, hey, you're going to pull the birds and, and fuck nine people. And that was just never going to be me. I, I don't know if any comic has ever done that. No, it's, it's more than the rock Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, if you add all the pythons together, we have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that was what do you do with all that adrenaline? I tell you what was great. It's, it actually goes away if you allow it to. <laughs> but you yes, know, it was my wife taught me to do it. It's a sort of, you go... Yeah, instead of going further, higher. Because I used to come off stage and my roadie would have a gin and a joint. <laughs> yeah. And then hand them to me and I would go, oh, great. Let's <laughs> 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 go somewhere! Let's <laughs> go and do something! <laughs> and I would go and, and then I'd... I remember, and I was tired of waking up in double rooms between the two beds <laughs> <laughs> with all my clothes on, wondering where I'd been. I thought I'd better stop this. But don't you find that you think when you're on the road, especially if you're if you're doing like you know six shows in a weekend, and then by the fifth or sixth, six shows at the weekend, six shows in a weekend, yeah, I like in a club, not like in a not like. Oh a right, because we never. That's more an American thing that we we tend to just do one a night or or no maybe a couple of night in the clubs. Is that what you're talking? I don't like doing two. I always do. I always do something in the second one that I've done in the first one, or, or think. Or, or go, or go, I say, "Oh God, I've said this before," and you did. It was yeah. in the last. I show. was. T- I was totally against him. I've just changed my mind recently. Do you ever feel uh, money? No, um, just because I'm coming up with a new show. So I found that if I do two in a night, even if it's a small audience, there's only fifty people coming, uh, and I do one at eight, one at eleven. Uh, like I'm going to do tomorrow night, um, then I can try out new things and then try out another new thing. You know that thing when yeah. you're going to think, oh, that's a nice idea, and then you can try it out immediately next. Yeah. Do you, when, you, when you're building a new hour, because I'm going through it now, is do you do you sort of have an overall theme? You obviously have a title for an app for the hour. Do you have an overall theme that you want to explore? Or do you go, well, I have some ideas, and I'll just get on stage and riff and see how it all comes together? Second one. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm trying to make it link through force majeure, you know, force of nature. The translation that, or it could be act of God, but maybe that's the difference between us on the world. Are we all forces of nature, or are we just andering and un, acting under acts of God? Is that is the question for humanity? And is that that's going to be the ultimate? That's what I've just made up as being. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, no, I realised. No, I realised that there was this thing. People saying, "Oh, that means uh, act of God." And I saying, "Actually, it means force of nature as well." And you can be your own force of nature. Hopefully, anyone performing has to bring a certain force of nature sure. to it. Um, uh, if you're stacking shells, less so. 
but uh, you know, if it's a, you know, and that is the thing. We used to all believe in gods, and and now there's a billion of us who are not believing in gods, and it's the fastest growing non-religion in uh, in the world, outstripping Catholicism. I don't know, I don't know that. I'm just pretty, pretty <laughs> sure. <laughs> the, the, I'm pretty the important sure. thing is, do you the, think the, clear the, air turbulence is the atheism test? <laughs> <laughs> clear yeah. air, clear air turbulence. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Oh God! Oh, oh geez, Give me down <laughs> I'll buy a rosary. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the guys at front doing that with the control. Let's get them going. Let's go on enough. Atheist, I'll give you fucking. <laughs> yeah. and they're all sitting in a gyroscopic thing that doesn't move while we're doing that. Else is the plane. They're, they're cupped in the hands of God, and yeah. then the rest of the plane. I spoke to a, an air steward on a Qantas. It, it had been like this for about three quarters of an hour. You know, and we were all quite used to it. Nobody was scared. It was just kind of irritating. You couldn't write or anything. <laughs> And I said, and I, was, I got talking to him about turbulence and the worst he had ever experienced. And he said he once he f- delivered all the meals to the whole f- deck of f- what was that, 150 people. And then the, the plane went, woof, woof. And, 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 every, and every meal went back one row. <laughs> like upside down. The <laughs> soup and pasta and custard. Oh, shit! <laughs> Jam in your hair, honey on your jacket. And, and he, went, he went round the whole thing and cleaned it all up. And he went, at the end of the, the voyage, he, he went up to the captain with his thing and he said, eh, Severe turbulence, could you verify it for me? And the captain said, well, that's not severe turbulence. He said, that was moderate turbulence. Severe turbulence is when we can't see the dials. Oh, shit. When, we can't, when they can't read the dials up in the front there, like that. So I've never experienced that, but I've been in plenty of the gadumph once. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be. I mean, I, I used to hate flying, and then at a certain point I was like, well, I'm going to be a comic, I kind of have to get over it, and now it doesn't bother me so much anymore. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's like Bumpy Road. You know, you sometimes get on Bumpy Road for 45 minutes, and yeah. we don't go, oh my God, this is the end of it's just a Bumpy Road. So I've got an earnest, quite unfunny question. Do you think really brilliant stand-ups like you all share something that is actually quite serious like exactly. a serious I don't know like a serious personality trait makes you go and be brilliant stand up something from a childhood or something earnest question I, think so. I don't know I think there's something weird maybe you'll agree with me Eddie that makes you want to do it twice like if you, if you do it once it should be enough for anybody <laughs> yeah exactly you know like the other carry on. standing up on their feet cheering you this should do you for the rest of your life yeah. but you have to go on and do it the following night again that. And then whatever what that? whatever, what whatever your from? last show was is how I think how you take away the experience. Like you think you have five amazing shows and then one shitty show and then you're like, this is not going well. I mean I don't know. That's that's. But I think it's all born yeah. of darkness. It's all, all that's what I, was I think ask. all humor and comedy is born of darkness. I, I don't seem to be that because a lot of very pissed off comedians have got a dark and I don't seem to have that. I, I, no, I, I, really I, I, I don't mean the guys who are doing dark stuff on stage. I think, but in their lives, I think the, the, the thing that drives you to do it, yeah, what's that? Can be troublesome. I think trouble be... in your childhood. Maybe you were picked on at school. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were—I don't know—anything that's troublesome and it seemed endless. 
Is there a genetic thing? Because I, my, my brother and father have got the same sense of humour. Did you and your families have anyone at the same sense of humour? Oh, I, I had uncles who were funny guys. No, but I think it's to do more with parental abandonment. They say it's maternal abandonment, and it starts very early that makes people funny. And you could, I could, you, when I took Lily to school at first, I could tell which kids in the class were funny. It was very interesting. They were right there. They were the funny guys, and they always remained the funny guys through the years as they all grew up. And so I think it's very early that Is you become the funny man? one. Well, that's the psychological, the psychiatric reason, they say. But I think any kind of deep disturbance, abuse or being stuck in a boarding school for 12 years or, you know, there are... I think those are dark. Dar- dar- darkness. Darkness is very. Oh, I thought you said being, short. Being sh- a short person. Get shot. That can do it. Or a tall person. That's what I thought you said. Or a very tall person, like Cleese. You know, way taller than I, anybody it, else. It does destroy. Uh, you know, it, it can. It, the power of a line, a word, can. Dis- uh, in a classroom, can totally send it into uproar. Get people looking over to, or do you just feel this kind of God, you know, heroicness of, of doing it? I, I do remember trying, and I was doing it for g- girls because girls re arrived at my school at 16. One girl for every 20 boys, and there was a, a terrible imbalance. So all the sporting guys were saying, hey, let's go out, and they were all going out with girls. And then it, the, there's a lot of boys just doing nothing, and a lot of boys going around helping girls lift things and stuff. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going to sit at the back of the chemistry lesson with a Dr. Edmondson who wrote at a certain speed that left monkeys, not monkeys. Gaps, you know, he just <laughs> left digits. Hey, <laughs> sodium chloride is a vegetable. It's not a vegetable. He did. He, he had the perfect speed for me to go. Um, and that one, and I actually actively thought like, this can really improve. One, the fact that girls by the summer term were going. I didn't even know you existed until. Okay, I think the, the common denominator seems to be like some sort of a need for attention to yes. pull people's attention. Right? In, your case, in your case, it was. It seems like oh, it was a good attention for positive reasons for girls. For other people, it could be attention for I didn't get attention when I was a kid, and I need to feel loved in some way. Yeah, and so I. You have to, but I think it actually starts while you're still a kid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, there's a lot of people now say, "Oh, I decided to do stand up for a while," and I don't understand that. I, I did it because I had to do it. Yeah, I'd been to see Variety Theatre, what you call vaudeville in America, and my, I had an aunt who loved it, and we'd go and see all these tenors, you know, and. Uh, and Liberace and people like that but I would just wait for the comedian to come on and I thought God I'd love to be one of them and the more I saw them the more I wanted to be one well can I ask you on that then, then, but then music came before the well there was nowhere to do it by the time I got the age I'd left school and I'd become a welder and stuff I was all hairy and beardy and so I, I, I wasn't available for cabaret they wouldn't hire oh, people who looked like me is that in the 60s? Yes. Yeah. And then they eventually did, you know, when I died and wore weird satin clothes and all that, they right. sort of let me in. But it came through music, but you, did you actively do music thinking, 
We obviously love the music, and, oh, I did, and, and then you just realize in the gaps, you could say, there's a thing I'd just like to point out. And I mean, I just speak. No, I actually read in the paper that I was a comedian. I thought I was a funny folk singer. Oh, right. I'd always yeah. wanted to be a comedian, and comedy was really difficult to get into because there was hardly of it, any of it anywhere in yeah. Scotland. There were hardly any social clubs or cabaret places, and, and the vaudeville was dying. So I was doing the folk music circuit and playing my banjo and... And most banjo songs are about chicken pie or murdering your girlfriend. So you can be, there's black bags of room to be funny. <laughs> Don't you think it's easier to be the funny guy in a music venue than the music guy in a comedy venue? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. very, very much so. Except it isn't easy to open for a rock oh. band. It's oh, no. Because I've done it. I'd opened for Elton John, Elvis Costello. Oh god! Because it's cool. Me. Music is cool. Yeah. And the cool edge, it's cool. And the idea, and I've done those mixed gigs. And the cool people sitting at the back of a venue somewhere around King's Cross in London. And the idea that you come and say something funny, there's just no way that they could go. You know, they've got to dismiss it for the fun. I'm not going to laugh at this guy because it'll fucking ruin my whole attitude that I have this evening with my cigarette and my girlfriend. You know, it's just not going to work. Well, what about you, Eric? I mean, because you, you, did you guys, um, was a lot of your stuff live first? Did you come together as a, as a group of, of writers to make a television show? Well, we come from a writing background. We were all writers. We wrote for Frost Report mm -hmm. and David Frost. And we, we come from the footlights, really, which is mm -hmm. writing and performing. You write sketches and then you do it. So we, they were very close in connection. At Cambridge, yeah, That's and the I footlights. Where well, the spies so, come from. Yes. Spies <laughs> and comedians. Spies comedians. and funny people. Yeah, but they have, well, some of them are from Oxford, too. I mean, you know, Sophie's Cambridge footlights, too. But same background. Are you really? Oh. So there. Yes. Well, if you shut up for a minute or two, you know what she has to say. The whole thing about comedians is jumping over each other and saying, no, I'll tell you how funny I was. Backstage at the Comedy Store in London was people just getting their comedic cogs out, basically. Because no one actually sees you be funny off in another club. You say, I'll just tell you how funny I was. And this is when you go, I did this, I said this, and then someone else goes, no, that's no good. I was better. It's a weird thing that would happen in that. But... It's funny just riffing off it. And somebody once told me the hardest gig they ever did is backstage at the comedy store. Because if, if it didn't work, if the funny Bon Mott that you threw in didn't work, they'd say, oh, he's a dickhead. You know, and, everyone, <laughs> and you'd die amongst your peer group. And that was, uh, but, I, but I loved that. I loved hanging out with stand-ups, which was, which was, I don't know if you, you go, you, you, you'd comment, you came through a comedy writing thing. But we never had stand-ups. I mean, we're pre-stand-ups, really. The only person who's stand-up was Billy through all those years, really. There was yes. not many at all. And I was out there with all the fascists. Yeah, we were doing... Uh, <laughs> You're the godfather. We were the, oh, ske we're the sketch comedy. Sketch comedy goes on, and then it went on to television. comedy was yeah. the rage. And then it stopped at the end of about... Uh, uh, you know, what was that? Nine o'clock news is probably the last sketchy... I mean, it's no, but then Fast Show came back. It went out, and then it came yeah. back with that Fast Show and, and others. So, but so. then it moved very much into... You know, it wasn't cool to be Oxford or Cambridge. No, yes, it's definitely not right. cool to be Oxford or Cambridge. You've got to live that down. So, yeah... So, because but that was like around the 80s, right? Uh, yes, the 80s, it's, uh, it's, it's been uncool ever since the, the Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry one won the Perrier, uh -huh. the first ever Perrier, uh -huh. and that was just at the time when it was not cool to do that, and then right. they just tried to live that down and say, well, actually, we weren't the footlights, and I don't know if they actively did that, but I felt, I, I was desperately trying to get to the footlights, where you guys got to, 
was when I was trying to get to. Sasha, Sasha Baron Cohen told me the day before, he said, I, was, I went to Cambridge because I wanted to be a member of the Footlights. Mm. He said, I auditioned three times, they never accepted me. <gasps> wow, <laughs> didn't he get in? No, he didn't get in. Shit. I, well, I tried to go there and then I realised I wasn't cool. And so I thought not working might make me cool at school. So I started doing that actively. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You basically have a group of comedic performers who come together because the rest of society doesn't accept them. And then within that, they in turn don't accept someone and that forces them to rebel. Yes. And then they, they come up with Well, if, if, if you're the mainstream of the footlights, you know, there was, it really was, it was certain people. You guys were going to get through whether you're the footlights or not. Because in Oxford, they didn't have the footlights. And they well, they had the equipment, though. So but not, they didn't be, have the drinking thing in the club. Not the drinking thing. No. They had to build their own doodads, didn't they? They did. But when, at Sheffield, I had to build all my own doodads. I had to build the <laughs> thing. I had to go to Edinburgh. I, I got to Sheffield University and said, I'm here to do the Edinburgh Festival. I'm just doing, basically, I was doing a degree because my dad said I had to do one. And that's why I was doing accounting there. <laughs> and I said, I'm here to, to go to Chef. I go to Edinburgh. Whatever you do, what do you do? I, I'll sweep up. I don't try to push my way in, but I could be very helpful. I've got a lot of energy. And they said, we don't go to Edinburgh. I said, the whole reason I'm here is to go to Edinburgh. <laughs> I can't have this. And this very cool guy who I've met up since then, and Brad, Brad Scott, and he was just saying, you know, we, 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 no one goes. But someone went a few years ago and lost a lot of money. That's the whole fucking point of life, surely, is to go to Edinburgh. <laughs> That's where it happens. So I started hitching up to Edinburgh and doing my first... I set the first show up myself, and I set all the first three up myself. But what did was, you do then? What theatres? Um, you see, well, well what the, the footlights were in... The, the ones they'd been in for about 20 years, and they had all these people... They were sold out for the first day that the tickets went on sale. I was in Brodie's tavern Brody's no the Celtic Lodge Deacon upstairs Brody. I was on a 12 noon show in, in uh, yes Deacon Brody's it's the, the, the Celtic Lodge opposite Brody's tavern and 12 noon we were on there and later on I met a guy who, uh, who, who ran the venue he said yeah your show was shit wasn't it uh, and he said that to my face and it actually was but um, but this I, I, I do have a very slow learning curve the beginning bits are really rough and then slightly better but yeah it was just rough we had one redeeming sketch in it but the rest of it was just garbage and then the second year was slightly better the third year was slightly better when did you all sort of figure out how long did when did you start to figure out like oh this is who I am and this is my, this is where I write from and like there's a certain point where comics sort of become their, their point of view is so solidified that I feel like, you know, I could, I could tell you potato chips and you would start talking about potato chips and it would just come as this sort of prepackaged, like... It's a sort of organic process. It just comes itself. You don't realise it's there until it's there. You think you're doing the same. Have you ever... It's, the, the best comparison I can think of is, is learning a tune from someone. I'm a banjo player. And I've often learned a tune from a record from some hero, Clarence Ashley or somebody and I'll play it for a year, and then uh, I'll play the record again, and the thing I'm playing is nothing like the thing I learned from mm. him, but I, th I thought that's what I was playing. Well, comedy is like that. You, you go on, you think, you think you've said the same thing as you said last night, but, but you're, you're not saying it. The, the audience has changed, the room has changed, you have changed, it's raining, it's not raining, it's windy, you've had bad news, you've got the flu. You see it slightly differently, and it, and it all, every night, there's a little chip comes off it, a piece is added to it, and it becomes Lego, sort of comedy Lego. And it's it, the DNA of comedy. <laughs> yeah, there, there is there's slight mutations. Yeah, it is like DNA. Slight mutations. And I worked out that... Because my whole career has been, I've never written a word of it. You've never written it down? I've never written it down. I've written it down afterwards to try and remember it. <sighs> 
But they, I, I don't write it, I add to it. It's conversational stand-up. It's like a conversation you have, and they think, oh, uh, fly fishing. And then you go from fly fishing, and then next night you say, fly, I still about fly fishing. And then you go, and you say, what the fuck did they say about fly fishing? And then you go through, and, you go, and then you say, I still about fly fishing. And this guy at the back shows, yeah. blah, 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 and boom. And suddenly you're away, you're away onto something else. Yeah. It's yeah. also not always about material. Being on stage with these two, Billy could just suddenly, occasionally get the giggles, and the audience would find it <laughs> unbelievably hilarious. Eddie had to just blink, and the whole audience audience were he's, weeping with he's like he's solid as a rock doing funny stuff but, but when it's well, funny you have a little across. that's my favourite part of the film which one? it's when Eddie's going to do a, a line of his own <laughs> he'll lean back and look at say the line and then he'd lean back again for my reaction there was a whole thing going <laughs> yeah, on which is, which is almost subtext for that whole python <laughs> Uh, relationship. If you look between the six, the ideas of who could do. John Cleese said, "At a certain age, I didn't want to have to be somebody telling me I can't do this material." So, as, as a stand, someone who'd come up through a sketch thing and, and had worked out amongst four people how which sketches we were going to do, which lines we were going to do, and then getting to the place where you stand up, you say, "I'm just going to say whatever I want." Right. And then uh, there were certain nights that I thought, "I think this line is better," and I'd say them, and sometimes they weren't, sometimes they flew. <laughs> what did they say? The Queen is. Sweden came to someone. And there's a wonderful moment when Russell goes and starts off and he loses it, he's got nothing. He's abandoned <laughs> on stage. with you. It, those are the moments where you always would nail a line. You know, you'd always... I was a hunter-seeker for a yeah. line. But it was, it was very interesting because they got nine people, most, about four or five of them were stand-ups, or th- but, you know, together on stage. And they, it was interesting to see the reaction because it wasn't because a lot of people think it was kind a of lot of people think we're in constant competition. Exactly, we it actually wasn't. love each other because you're comedy fans. You're, if you're a comedy nerd, you love comedy. The, the best example was at my and you're house. On the together. I, I have a house in Scotland, and I used to invite Eric Idle and, and Robin Williams and Steve Martin and, and and all these guys, and we'd all be sitting having dinner. Eddie is a we're having dinner and. And you could see people being kind to one another. You would see Robin going off on one, you know, it'd go off on some riffer and it would tail off. And one of us would go, bloop, throw something in to bring it up. Absolutely. That's what I like about comedians. You always keep the the ball going. We're often mistaken for people who are deeply envious and jealous. You keep the ball alive. It is a gladiatorial thing. It's like how gladiators... We like to impress one another. We're verbal gladiators. So, like, gladiators must have had some sort of, hey, this guy's good at killing, I'm good at killing, and we're going to live and hopefully not die as slaves. (laughs) We had a similar thing to this. Uh, But if someone isn't good and you don't like them, then you don't care about them dying but if you had a respect amongst them you'd want to if they were playing with a verbal idea um, then you have to have enough guts to be able to jump in on, on and, but on, you, on help them. you help I noticed it with Python when we did the last in, in, in so 2009 we did a reunion in, 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 in New York and there were questions being asked and I just observed I lay back and I just saw that everybody would step in if the thing was dying right. and pick it up and go from you know and which it was just like Automatic. It wasn't considered. Mm. They would step in, and I thought, "Ah, oh, that's how this thing worked." Yeah. We all covered, and we all helped. Yes, it, it it is. Once you get to a certain level, and it's such a great place to be in because if you've grown up liking comedy, and then you can get in where you can hang out with people. I mean, I realized that was all you ever wanted. You want respect of the people whose stuff that you liked. Yeah. If if somebody said, "Yeah, that's good piece of material," then. You just went away. Do you feel uh, because you know obviously all of you and then Russell Brand's in the show as well and you know everyone's really 
I mean, you know, you guys are, you were talking, you were sort of joking about myth, legend, icon, but, you know, as far as comedy goes, I mean, you guys are all really in the pantheon of great comics, but do you feel that way, or do you feel... I think it's called, pronounced pantheon. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're in the pantheon. Pantheon. Where are we going to do this? You have a big comic book, you've you turned into transvestite. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, we're good I... at deflecting praise, aren't we? Comedians are very good no, at I'm deflecting praise. Eddie likes it. <laughs> All right, building upon it. You're so good. <laughs> it's, it's the egotist. I, just, I, think, I, think, well, I think a lot of people, you know, especially like aspiring performers, everyone kind of has this idea in their mind, like, oh, if I could just get to this place, if this just happens and everything's going to be amazing, and I see a lot of times people get to that place and they just look empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's not be. at all what they thought it was no. going to be. Is it being famous itself? You don't wake up famous. Somebody has to remind you to go, eh, they like, oh, they go, oh, oh, it's him, no, it's me. <laughs> and that was just his wife. <laughs> She's employed to wake me up and go, wake up, you feathers! You he added a term. musical number. Oh, yeah, but it's also the fame dial can, can, can dial up and dial down. You can oh. go to a place where there's a lot of comedy people and you go, hey, it's at this level. You go to a shopping mall and, should you just get out of the way? Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it when I'm cold. It's like, uh, you know, I love it when you've gone and I completely haven't been on stage or done it for ages. It's nice because you're, you're almost back to being anonymous and then you make a mistake of doing something and it's on again. So, oh, I saw you last night on a rerun. I, I love being that guy. <laughs> hey, you're that guy. That's me, that's me. You're from that thing. You're yeah, the yeah, you're yeah, from that thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look, it's that guy. And then they say, what's your name? And you say, Billy Connor. They say, that's right. <laughs> no, that's oh, not I got it right, I got it right. No, that's not it. No, that's me. No, I don't think that's you. There was... I was once mistaken for two people, Robin Hall and Jimmy McGregor. That's right. They had a folk singing double act. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I know you. You're Robin Hall and Jimmy McGregor. I said, I'm both of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a great ego the Halley Orchestra. diminishing thing, which is, which was beautiful and it's and it shows how my brain plays I, I just they had Jesus Christ Superstar and it's just gone back on in Britain and it was playing in arena so it was out of Wembley and I thought I want to go to this so I said, can I get a ticket so you get the place where you can find out I just want to go there I don't need to see it but I just want to see it so I get out of Jesus Christ Superstar see that and there's a, there's a drinks after drinks okay I'll go to the drinks and we sort of wander our way into the drinks oh yeah you can come in and then, so that's really nice and then so we did that and the drinks and the stuff and it's you know it's, it's the, the first time it's going back there and we get, catch a, a taxi back uh, minicab driver the guy's uh, Pakistani origin probably and you know living in Britain and, and drives us in and we get back into Soho the middle of London and the guy says will you be going back to Wembley and I and you know I've played Wembley a number of times and it's you know did the first arena tour and, there's, there's, and I'm going, going yeah I'll be going back to Wembley I think you've got to go back to Wembley I think it's, <laughs> it's the thing you know there comes a time you can't off this thing he says well if you're not out too late here's my car I'll give you a lift back <laughs> <laughs> oh I see I'm going to you now yeah, 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 yeah. alright fine he just he just wanted to go fair back too many interviews I'll be going back to work yes you've got to haven't you you've got to don't you think I thought wow I'm going to do the Pakistani uh, yeah, yeah mate I think it's nice of you to ask I will one has to it's the way I but do you feel more but do you feel more pressure at the level you guys are at where because you know it's like the, the Seinfeld the comedian which is a phenomenal documentary, and you know Seinfeld saying like, "Well, you get like five minutes on, you get the fame card for like five minutes." I wouldn't then, say it was as long as that. No, no. 
Oh no, I think it's 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 actually five a week. minutes is a long, long time. A minute do you get a, a fame is that? No, when you're on stage, Wait, like no, you, 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 you get a minute is grace. Because like just no, because you're a famous oh. guy. Yeah, and then yeah. the jokes better yeah. be funny. So how do you how do you at your level work out new stuff? Because you're gonna have a process where some stuff's not gonna work, and people are not as forgiving if they expect well, you to be at ten all the time. I do. I, I did a thing. I stole from. Um, it's work in progress. It's an American idea. Lily Tomlin used to do a lot of work in progress things to work out in new shows, and I thought that's a good idea. And I got kind of hit from from apparently doing old material because I just used to roll on my my new tour it used to be the old tour that I'd finished, and I'd just start making up new material over mm-hmm. the course of the tour. So now I and they said you're not allowed to do that. So all right, okay. So now I put work in progress. Who says you're not allowed to do that? I've done it. Well, I was I was reported <laughs> to um, uh, Watchdog, BBC Watchdog. Uh, for doing at Bur- Birmingham Hippodrome, the first gig of my new tour, of doing things from Dress to Kill, it was now the Circle Tour. But that's how I used to do it. I used to tell everyone this. I don't actually write it like Billy. It's, the style's totally nicked from him. And I just at the end of the tour on Dress to Kill, I'd start um, Circle with the same material. But if you come at the end of the tour, if you come at the end of each tour, then you'd always see new material. If you come at the beginning of each tour, you'd always see that. I was trying to get this out to people, but you know, not everyone hears it. Birmingham Hippodrome says all new material written on it, which I didn't know they were going to do. Some people came. They complained to Watchdog, which is a real. Uh, Television, you know, people, you know me complain that this guy has ripped me off insurance-wise. This company is doing this. This is a faulty vacuum cleaner. So they report you like it's like a better business bureau. They're yes. reporting a comedian to a better. It, business it bureau. really was a real kick in the head as well because comedians used to not change the material at all in the old days. Uh, Malcolm Wise of Big Double Act in Britain did thirty years the same one hour. And so I thought I know Grace Clark and Colin Murray who did 28 years with the same eight minutes. Oh my God. That's before television. See, the television came on in the late 50s and it just gobbled up their one accent. And what are you going to do next week? Well, I think that changed things. I think, well, I don't think it was actually then, to be honest, because Morphin Wise continued. Doing the same one act, they just never did that one hour on, on, TV. on TV. Yeah, sure. What happened in stand-up t- uh, circuit that I was on was that the late eighties, early nineties, we started changing our material ever faster, and so then it became that you had to do that. Mm-hmm. And anyone who'd done stand-up from before that wasn't doing it. Billy was on, had his own because he already was the godfather of alternative stand-up. He was the first one doing it when we weren't even doing stand-up. We were doing sketches, and he was doing stand-up, and it was just weird. He just made it all up himself, the whole way of doing it, the conversational way, and he just rotate the show and, and we couldn't even do it. Because I thought that's what other guys were doing. <laughs> really? Yeah. But also it wasn't on TV so you could keep your, your material for quite a while. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't, I had no interest in television. Right. Just to, to, I would go on television and talk about it. Yes. Right. You'd go on uh, Michael Parkinson, that was a great, yeah, yeah. did that feel great when you were Oh Michael, yeah. Michael Parkinson was a huge, he was like the Billy Rose of, uh, oh, okay. of Britain, but back when Billy Rose on on uh, Leno show, Letterman show, that kind of audience. So, um, you know, not a comedian background, but from a journalistic background. And Billy went on famously in the 70s. Yeah, and I told this joke that about uh, a guy, uh, you couldn't tell it today, it was about a guy killing his wife. And, and, uh, and, 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 and he's in the bar and he, and he was telling a guy he did it, and the guy said, What? You, Shit, me. He said, no, no. I've buried her in a shed behind the house. And he's, he, he uh, the guy says, I don't believe you. He said, I'll come on, I'll show you. So he takes him through, and there's a big mound of earth and an ass sticking out of it. 
His wife's arse sticking out of the mound of earth. <laughs> and she says, what's that? He said, that's an arse. She says, why do you leave it sticking out? It's an, I, need, I need somewhere to park my bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going for the was that, was, did, I, was that a joke that you'd heard, or was that something that you'd A guy invented? told me on the way to a football match in Spain, in Valencia, <laughs> and I, I just leaned against the wall and guffawed. <laughs> I've never met him again. And I just, on, on the way in, in the limousine, my manager said, now don't, whatever you do, you're always good with these things. <laughs> Don't tell the joke with the murdered woman and the bum sticking out of the ground. <laughs> well, you can't say that to a comedian because it just goes straight to the front. Well, things have happened to you guys all the time. Like, you can't do this, you can't say this, and then you have to figure out ways to get around that. Not really, they didn't pay any attention to us. Really? No, they, we, were, we, we, we were under the radar. It was 10.30 at night. Until you were successful. Until we were sort of successful, maybe the third series, then they'd start to look at the scripts and go, you can't do that, and you can't say that. And then we'd go and face them, and six of us would come into their little offices, and they would be shit scared. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> we were the luckiest people on earth that yeah, we to were do very it lucky. when we did it. Or when, now doing it, I'm not speaking about it in the past tense, but the people who were before us in Britain were all censored, officially censored by the Lord Chamberlain. You yeah. had to submit your script and he... That's where out. blue comes from, blue material, blue movies, because the Lord Chamberlain had a blue pencil and he put it around the bit you couldn't do. Well, that started when we were at Cambridge doing Footlights. We had to submit you had to the script the of the review if you wrote a to the Lord Chamberlain. You had to submit it had to the Lord Chamberlain. And they say, you cannot say that, because we did this sketch about taking pills, birth control which was the, the red pill is for birth control and the green pill is for uncontrolled birth. <laughs> <laughs> to tell the difference between these two pills, the red pill has Oniswaki Molly Ponce tattooed on it so you can see it in the dark, read it in the dark. <laughs> completely absurd, but they would, they would cut out things. You cannot say this, you can't say that. They would be scrubbed out, the Lord Chamberlain. And that oh, was late... That's just blue three, sixty four. Blue material. Yeah. Amazing. I love that fact. Right, you guys have a, you have a press yeah. conference, but so quickly, I just want to sort of, you know, I'd seriously could talk to you guys for like five fucking hours. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? That is. That's power. Yes, and it's in an accent, so it's charming. It's charming here. It's um, ethnic. It's ethnic. It's, it's <laughs> cultural. It's, <so> <laughs> it's very cultural. You are racist for trying to stop what is happening here. Do you know your problem? Do you know your problem? Listen. You've got the notes. same attitude as started the Second World War. That is identical. He's saying what everyone's thinking about your attitude. That's right. right Do now. I smell burning books? Look at this. No, you smell the third smell. <laughs> that is a rule of comedy. Just hold a yeah. yeah. cold back. Long enough. Even if it doesn't even fit. So, uh, so what about Dick is, is a live show that you did here at the Orpheum. Uh, you guys are uh, presenting the show online. People can download the show. Yeah. Uh, six bucks. Which has not been done before. Down, was no, really not really been done before. Um, not a thing Louis like this. Did it a bit, with but up, nobody's yeah. done a play like this yeah. or a yeah. comedy big event like this. And it's December the 13th is Dick Day. 
Yeah, is it November or December? D- November, sorry, November the 13th November the 13th, yeah. D-Day. And, D- but D-Day, D- D- or B, actually B-Day. D-Day, <laughs> so yes, you can download it. For six dollars you get these guys. Is it whataboutdick.com? What a, yes, www.whataboutdick.com. You don't say www. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you don't say www. World that's, War that's, II. That's, yes, what about Dick? No, www sounds very 2009. Oh, so sorry. And you're Twittering now, so you are a 2012 person. Am I 2012? Yeah, yeah, you've got your shirt on and everything. I have Twittered. I've tweeted and Twittered. Have you? Do you still I've got 35,000 followers. Jesus, I've been on three weeks and I've got more than that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, Billy. This man is a simple welder. What do you mean? What are you doing to him? He's a parachute welder. He's a parachute and do some welding. People shot at him and then he had to go weld some more. Are you okay? I'm broken. Oh, yeah. He's a banjo player. He has no feelings. <laughs> Sophie, are you, on, no are, you on, are you online anywhere with people? No, really? I'm afraid not. I can't cope with it. I don't like the internet. I don't understand it. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. You don't, don't have to understand, understand it. it. You just have to jump in. I don't want to. I don't want to. I mean, I'll support it for this show. Oh, you know, you don't don't have to I'm stopping it. She's a reader. The internet is dumb. Our show is on the internet. And it's no, not dumb. I just find it frightening. It is scary. It's no, but scary. So you don't really like technology generally, yeah? Because I've noticed, I've, I've noticed this noticed? thing that there's, it tends to be women, it can be men as well, um, more against technology, but unless it's useful. Like car, yeah. and it's super it's vibrates. No, I can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> I can't drive at all. Okay, you're yeah. I'll tell you something, I'm just back from Mexico fishing. My, my son is very technical and all that stuff, but he's never worn a watch. On his yeah, wrist. no one wears watches. And I bought him one for Christmas once, and he made me take it back. He said, I don't want it. I took it back. But he can tell the time to within... To, he was never more than two minutes wrong. Really? We were fishing. Jimmy, what time is it? Wow. 23 we? minutes past two. What's 25 amazing? after. Oh, you sure he didn't have a friend up there? <laughs> <laughs> to the That's big, incredible. That's yeah. amazing. And I know guys today who, who do, like Robin Williamson of the Incredible String Band, doesn't drive, never has driven, has no intention of ever driving, and it gets through life just dandy. Thank you very much indeed. I yeah, still can't no. drive, but Los Angeles isn't very funny without a car. <laughs> it's quite weird. It you have to make friends with quite old people. And for, for a city that's so crowded and densely packed, you feel very isolated without a car. You mm. feel like, because you can't walk anywhere in your immediate area that's of any value. It's no, stupid. that's the trouble. That's the, the the money people took all the public system out, didn't they? The car, yeah. the cars, the cars. cars. Yeah, they bought the public system and smashed it. Yeah, that is... the story's very well laid out. Good friend Roger Rabbit. That's exactly. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. it's a bad, bad story. It's, yeah, it's American gone wrong. Who is the guy who's the voice of Roger Rabbit? Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer is one of the best comedians in the world. He doesn't really perform much anymore. I don't I think. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen him in ages, and he used to. His mind. Have you ever seen Charlie Fleischer? Yeah, I don't think I've seen him. No. Oh, you will um, love no, him. I think I have seen him. Yeah, okay. he's a, quite a quite a expressive face. Yes. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's a brilliant comic, and he had a lot of math yeah, in his stand-up as well. Math. Math. He had a lot of math in his. Yeah. He's a fucking brilliant guy. Yeah. They're pulling. They're pulling you guys away. I want to thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you for being here. What about Dick.com? Eddie is an Eric Idol. Sylvia Winkleman, Billy Connolly, whose wife Pamela was my therapist. For many years, and got me to quit drinking nine years ago. Which she did please, the same for me. Isn't it? She's amazing. Yeah. She's amazing. Pamela Stevenson. Yes. Will you please hug her for me. Of course I will. And give her a drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drink to that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist.